Kate Bendewald. And I'm Leslie Myrick. For the last year, we've been chatting weekly to discuss the ins and outs, ups and downs of running our interior design businesses and decided to hit the record button. We are interior designers getting coffee with each other and now you. While some might choose to guard the hard-earned secrets of their design success, we've chosen to support, encourage, and empower one another to be the most kick-ass business owners possible. Welcome to the Designers Getting Coffee podcast, real talk about running your design business with head and heart. Come join the conversation. This is episode two, Do You Need a Degree to Be an Interior Designer? Bum, bum, bum. Good morning. Hi. Hey, Kate. How you doing? I am doing great. A little tired after a night out with some friends, but I am here. It is 7.30. Actually, it's already 8.30. <laughs> and yeah, I'm glad to be chatting about this because it came up in our last podcast. Um, it did. It was really difficult for us in that moment to table the conversation, but we managed to hold off for a week. This is a very hot topic um, when it comes to people who are considering getting into this crazy industry and most people are on one side of the fence or the other or the table, whatever that metaphor is. And so, and I think I alluded to this last time I said, ask me on a different day and you might get a different answer from me. I would say that today I'd like to provide more context to my answer last week, which was my answer was 100% you need a degree. I'm going to add a big but to that. Bring so. on the big butt. Bender. I like big butts and I cannot lie. <laughs> I knew it was going to go there. I apologize in advance. I might be a little punchy today. Um, it's just kind of the mood I'm in. It's Friday. It's been a great but long week and I'm really looking forward to the weekend. You better have I'm your looking, coffee. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to the fact that it's a three-day weekend with my kids and my husband just told me he has to work out of town on Monday. I'm like, great. Do you check the family calendar? Because it really doesn't sound like it. <laughs> it's fine. We'll do something fun. <laughs> it's fine. Anyway. I promise. It's fine. We're all fine. <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, um, you can get some more context to these uh, little moments of banter. But if you're just listening <laughs> on the podcast, I do apologize. Um, but this is how we roll. We're working moms with two kids that are young and yeah. the struggle is real. But anyway, so, okay. So the question is, do you need a degree to, to practice interior design? Um, I think we should mention before we dive into our own personal opinions about this, that it kind of depends on where you live too, because Agreed. there are some states that have what are called title laws where you cannot legally call yourself a, a, an interior designer um, or even a licensed interior designer if you haven't had uh, the appropriate amount of uh, experience and that varies sometimes it's two years um, sometimes it's two years under the apprenticeship in an apprenticeship role with a licensed designer or architect um, and so definitely check your local state's regulations around that because they're not all the same for, for each state I know California is probably one of the strictest when it comes to title laws and what you can call yourself. Um, so I think our conversation around here is um, really from a from an educational standpoint. Do you do you need do they really teach you these things in interior design? What do you learn in school in interior yeah. design? And um, which is a different conversation than 
what you can call yourself. Um, so last week I said 100% you need a degree to practice interior design. And I want to back that up with some context to say that I believe wholeheartedly that if you have any desire to practice commercial interior design, specifically in terms of uh, hospitality, uh, healthcare. Um, I did work in civic buildings. So I did, I did libraries. I did um, the Children's Museum in Denver. Um, those are all areas where you will have, where the public will be in your buildings. And so there are very stringent life safety and health regulations um, and codes that have to be followed. And you, you will learn those things in school. Uh, if you go on to take the NCIDQ exam, which is the National Council for Qualifications interior for Interior Design Qualifications. It's been a while since I've had to answer that. Um, if you go on to get your two years of experience and then take that exam, then you can be, you can call yourself a licensed interior designer. And that's no matter where you live, you can uh, have that designation. But it, first, you have to get the, the education, and your education has to come from a program that is uh, CIDA accredited. CIDA stands for Council for Interior Design. Gosh, I am, I should have looked this up before we got <laughs> on. I look it up here in a second. Um, but there, it's the, it's the governing body that looks at college programs and determines are they teaching the right things to their students and they look at breadth and depth of a lot of different things um, and decide does this program will it achieve CIDA accreditation so in Canada I think the equivalent is FIDER the foundation for interior design education and research that wasn't in place when I went to school but my college now does have FIDER accreditation for their design program so those are good things to look at for sure. If you are going to school, no matter if you're in Canada or the, U or the U.S. or elsewhere, there's usually some sort of big cheese governing body that's looking over those programs to make sure that you're learning what you need to learn to be licensed, to be legit when you graduate. Exactly. I just looked it up. CIDA is Council for Interior Design Accreditation. So, Ooh, so fancy. You know, if you're going to spend the money on going to school, um, I recommend finding a program that has that accreditation. There are a lot of schools out there um, that are becoming very popular that call themselves interior design schools, but they don't have that accreditation. And there are many people who go into interior design thinking that they're going to have a, um, perhaps more than what they get when they come out on the other side and realize that potential employers are not going to hire them because they didn't go to a school that had that accreditation. So I think you need to ask yourself, what kind of design do you want to practice mm -hmm. um, to be able to, to figure these things out? So when you go to school, you'll learn things that most people simply aren't interested in teaching themselves. It's not the fun and glamorous things that we you might think you do in school. A lot of it has to do around... Uh, a lot of the learning is around things like space planning, safety standards, uh, accessibility, building codes, 
and learning all the different drafting tools, um, graphic design tools, um, lighting design, lighting. very, very technical. Um, I actually geeked out on that in college. I didn't think, I never considered myself to be a super like technical person, but um, I ended up getting a minor in technology <laughs> because I found that I really enjoyed it and it served me well um, in my time in commercial design. So the big but is this, I would say, if you are not interested in doing commercial design, if you're more interested in residential, while all of the stuff that you learn in school will certainly be useful and it will give you a head start, it increases your credibility. Um, if you have the right personality, which we can talk about that in a minute, if you have the right personality and have what it takes to learn a lot of these things on your own, I think you can be successful. There's, but there's caveats to everything. Is that saying that there are not successful commercial interior designers out there? No, I'm not saying that. But these are very exceptional people who are practicing commercial interior design and killing it. Um, just locally, I I think Joel Mazursky, who's in Austin, I don't think he has a ever went to school for that. I he designed a restaurant that I used to work at in college. He does beautiful work, and it, a lot of it is commercial in nature. He does a lot of restaurants and lounges and hospitality, and it's beautiful. And he's really good at what he does. Um, I'm pretty sure that he didn't do that. But if he's listening or somebody knows him and like, no, he didn't go to school for it, then correct me. But there are a lot, there are many examples out there um, we could probably find. So um, Leslie, I'd love to hear your take on, um, do you need a degree? Um, and then we can chat more about, you know, if you don't have a degree, what does it take personality wise to, to make it in this world, in this business? Yeah, I am. I'm kind of of mixed feelings about the do you need a degree thing. I know I said last time the answer is, well, for what I <laughs> You're do. You're really flip-flopping. I know. So I do mainly residential. I've always wanted to do residential. I've had very little interest or desire to do hospitality, commercial, healthcare, restaurants, things like that. And for those, I'm, I'm in the same boat as Kate. I fully believe that having accreditation, having a formal education, when the public is involved and there's safety and liability issues, it is a super big advantage to have a, a formal design degree and be trained in that. That being said, I have done some small commercial projects and I'm smart enough to know that I don't know it all. And I always bring in a GC who is up to snuff on building codes and legalities and can help guide me and sort of work hand in hand with me while I'm making the aesthetic decisions I've got my go-to contractor who knows his stuff when it comes to the building codes, the public safety, fire ratings, flammability, things that I have a bit of a sense of, but I do not feel comfortable specking entirely on my own because I just don't have enough knowledge of that world. If I were doing commercial or hospitality, something in that realm full-time, I would absolutely say, go get the formal training, stay up to date, obviously on your licensing, accreditations, the things you need to do. That being said, for me, who's always had a passion for residential, I don't think you necessarily need a degree to be an interior designer. However, it gets a little tricky, like Kate mentioned earlier on, that in a lot of states and provinces, you cannot say interior designer as your title because there are title laws and some locations also have practice laws. 
Texas is a super weird state, I find, with this, because here we do have title laws. So I cannot use the title registered interior designer in the state of Texas because I am not. However, I can practice can interior design. Registered interior designer or licensed interior designer is someone that has done achieved three things, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Number one, gone through a site accredited program, has had two or more years of experience under the guidance of a of a licensed or registered interior designer or architect and has passed the NCIDQ exam. I believe that's true, but I'm going to go disclaimer on everybody and say, go do your own research because we're not lawyers and I'm not a registered <laughs> interior designer. So I have not gone through that process, but in Texas, there is no practice law. So anybody can do interior design. You just can't use the title in the state, use the title of registered interior designer. I can call myself an interior designer in Texas. So that being said, from California, where I used to work, I could not use interior designer and I had to choose a different title. In Ontario, where I first started my career, I also could not use interior designer. And I'll be honest, a lot of that is because I'm stubborn and I refused to jump through the hoops <laughs> that were apparently necessary to claim that title. What I have found for me doing residential design is having those kind of certifications and titles you know, I think it's there's certainly benefits to being members of associations like ASID or IDS or other industry partners that give you sort of more credibility and more fancy letters behind your name. But for me, I've never had a client ask, A, if I have a degree, B, if I'm accredited or have any of these fancy schmancy letters. What my clients want to see is, do they like me? Do they like my work? And can I do the job for them that they really want? So I did go to school, design school, and I absolutely felt that it did teach me valuable things. Looking back though, the most valuable things I learned in school were the technical ones, learning AutoCAD, learning lighting, things that I kind of don't even think about on the day-to-day -day because they're just ingrained. But I certainly don't think a design school teaches you style. The degree gives you credibility, but in school, they don't teach you style. I really feel like that's something as designers, you kind of either have or you don't. And it can certainly be honed and further developed and you know brought out of you in design school. But I think even more so than having a design degree, there has to be that innate sense of, I don't know, feeling design. I don't know about UK. I'm really like intuitive when I design. Like I, I look back later and I realize I'm like, oh, this wallpaper had kind of a triangle pattern. And that's why I like this fabric because it kind of had something similar to it. But when I'm picking it, I'm just like, this just feels good together. And I can't even quite. Well, and it's, it's weird. There's that's the all elements like and principles. They're, they're the, el the elements and principles of design. Mm -hmm. that are, you know, it's, it's balance, it's scale, it's proportion, proportion, all of those things visually you have, you, I do, I agree that you can be taught what those are, but there is sort of an innate ability to recognize it and to put those things together in a harmonious way, naturally that should come natural to you. If, if design is something that you, um, want to do um 
so yeah, they, they don't teach you that in school. <laughs> they teach you the, the fun, the, the elements of design, what they are, but your ability to recognize them and put them together in a harmonious way is, has to come from within and be a, a natural thing for you, I think. Yeah, you nailed that. That's such a great way to talk about it. Because I certainly remember doing all those technical classes about the elements and principles and doing fun little art projects and activities that sort of talked about them and how to actually implement them. But there's something about taking that head knowledge and putting it out into the world as something that you've created that is a mix of learning the technical stuff, but also, no, feeling it out, just having that innate sense of what works and what doesn't. And obviously that does get honed over time. I look back to stuff that I was picking aesthetically in college or shortly after. And now I'm like, yeah, like I would not pick those same fabrics, finishes, textures, patterns, layouts, whatever it might be. And so I do think that over time things get honed, things get, you know, you sort of find your own voice and style, but there has to be something there at the beginning. There has to be some sort of just spark in you or inkling or something where you already have a sense of what works, even if you don't always understand why. So let's, let's take a leap here and consider our listener may have decided, yeah, I just don't, I don't really want to go to school. I don't want to spend the money. I don't want to spend the time. I have opportunities right here in front of me to start doing some work, mm -hmm. um, but feeling like maybe they don't have everything that it takes. Like they don't know enough yet. What I think what I want to talk about, what are the things that you should have from a personality standpoint? And then also what are the actual things that you need to go freaking teach yourself? <laughs> so um, if you want to be an interior designer working for someone else, or if you want to be working for yourself. I think those are two different routes possibly. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think for the case of this, for the sake of this conversation, um, perhaps we talk about somebody that's wanting to do it on their own. I do think for me, as much as I had that sort of like desire to be that cool kid that goes out on their own right away, I am so glad I spent time working under other designers, learning from their wisdom and their positive qualities, paying attention to the things that didn't jive with me or I saw as negatives and learned what not to do in a sense for a lot of things. I think even if you want to go on your own, especially if you don't have a degree, if you can find a way to be of value to an established designer, some sort of internship, apprenticeship program, you know, do work in sort of a junior designer capacity and be willing and able to learn on the job, that is an option. It's tough in one sense because the designer would have to be willing to kind of invest a lot in you and teach you a lot. Mm -hmm. But that would be one thing I would suggest if there's any way you can get in the door with an established designer that, especially if you respect and admire their style, it's a great opportunity to get some firsthand experience, even if you don't have the degree behind your name. Um, I agree. And if you're, and if you don't find an opportunity like that, because that is, in my opinion, rare. I mean, I'm, 
I've experienced both. I've, I've hired people who have degrees and who don't. Um, and I certainly um, didn't use them in the same capacity that the girls that worked for me that had design degrees, or at least were in the process of getting their degrees, um, they were the ones that were getting design work for me um, versus the, the, the girls um, and guy in some cases that did not have a degree in interior design. They were the ones that were doing um, more administrative roles, but they were still getting the experience. They were still around it. They still could hear and see and understand what we were doing. And that is very valuable. And if you, if you approach someone wanting experience, but don't have the design stuff behind you, I think being able to bring something, another skill set to the table, you know, even if you get in the door under another umbrella, as it were, it's a great opportunity. So right now I have a design associate who works with me who is not a designer. She has about 20 years of project management experience. And that's why I was so intrigued to hire her because she has a great eye for design. She has that natural knack, wants to learn it, but is coming from the corporate world of project management for some really big brands. And it's been a really cool fit because she brings a certain skill set to me as a small business owner that is really valuable. And she's also getting on-the-job experience and learning about the industry as she goes. So sometimes it can be a hindrance to not have a degree. There's other times when you find the right person and you have the right complementary skills to offer. It can actually be really beneficial for everyone for you to kind of have this opportunity to learn on the job, as it were, as well as bring something to the table so you're not just taking from someone who is investing with you and paying you as an employer. That's a good point. And one of the girls that worked for me back in Denver had a degree in photography. So she really helped me um, in photographing my spaces um, and her work with me. And she did go on to to go take some classes in interior design because she was interested in it, but she, she didn't pursue a degree, so to speak. Um, so yeah, learning, so learning, finding somebody that you can learn from, I think is excellent. And, um, I've heard somebody say, go make those mistakes on somebody else's dime, not, not yours. (laughs) I think to myself, no, not my dime, but you know, that's a risk I take if I'm going to hire somebody that doesn't have that experience. Um, but I think if you don't find yourself in that, having that opportunity, or you just are like, yeah, but somebody's willing to hire me to do this because they like my style. Um, then I think you need to ask yourself if this is something that you want to make a career out of or a business, but you're, you want to sort of skip school, (laughs) so to speak. Um, you really have to ask yourself, am I a self-starter? Am I motivated to teach myself things that I don't know and fill in the gaps? Because like, Sure, you can have an inherent sort of innate design sense, but you don't have an innate design sense to use AutoCAD or SketchUp. (laughs) You got to learn that. Um, I use InDesign for all of my design presentations and layouts. Um, You have to be able to know how to use um, all the software and tools that designers use. Um, I'm sorry, but doing hand sketches for your projects isn't going to work past concept concept design. And that is an important skill to be able to communicate ideas that are cooking in your mind nugget and put them on paper. But you're right that I don't think it's professional to present kitchen drawings to a client that are hand sketched and not to scale and 
you know, this kind of crude representation of what you should understand how to do technically and accurately as a designer, whether you've learned it in school or had the mojo to go find a way to learn it on your own. Exactly. I want to add to that. So if I look at a drawing set that I've completed for kitchen design, for example, the things that I was taught in school and I honed in my experience in commercial design, working at a big architecture firm and then with a smaller firm and another residential firm was in addition to just the actual drawings, how do you annotate drawings so that it has all of the notes that you need to convey exactly what it is that you are intending to get built? Um, and there are architectural design standards that have to be met and they're the same every single drawing set, no matter whether you're in Russia or the US. Um, your title blocks you know, should look the same. Your, you should have your scale symbol that shows what, what scale your drawings are in. Your callouts for materials need to be the same. Your um, dimensions need to, to be within design standards. Your, yeah. Um, electrical plants need to follow standards. All of those things are things that you learn in school and are taught to you there. And you can learn practicing with another interior designer or architect. Um, so if you are not self-motivated to go out and learn and research what those things are, you're going to be in a world of pain the first time you get a lawsuit handed to you because you screwed up. <laughs> so... So yeah. yes, you need a degree unless you have the personality that it takes to go figure out that stuff that's not super fun to sit down and study and read but and learn about, but it's so critical, so critical. Yeah, you made a good point about the liability issue and possibly getting sued is that, you know, we talked earlier about obviously the importance of certification and accreditation in commercial, but even if you go the self-starter route and figure this out, you got to figure it out well because you can't be working in someone's home and bringing in contractors and doing work and things go wrong and you're on the hook. I mean, as a small business owner, I have liability insurance. I have errors and omissions insurance because goodness, if anything went wrong on a project, my client's budgets are well beyond what I could cover if anything goes south. I mean, that's, that's a fact for a lot of designers. We're working with clients who are probably at a level, income, lifestyle, whatever that might be, a little bit above us. And that's something that you need to be prepared for is that, yes, you might only be picking a sofa and a couple of chairs for a room, but if you've specified that sofa and made that decision and it gets delivered and it barely fits through the door and it cracks their door jam or causes damage, that's on you. You as the professional made that choice made that decision, made that recommendation. And there is liability in what we do to make sure that we are thorough and know our stuff before giving our expertise and making recommendations for clients. That's true. And I would say in the furnishings world, the, the liabilities are a little more digestible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when you start to get into architectural finishes, permanent things that are going to be there, um, that are custom, especially kitchen and bath design and tile and stone and structural things. Um, there's the, the level of liability really increases. And, and if you haven't put in the time to understand the nuances of how these things are constructed and what do you need to be thinking about? Um, 
you're, you really are running a risky business. So, um, so that you need to be motivated to, to teach yourself these things if you're going to bypass school and you need to know what questions to ask. One of the phrases that I hate the most is you don't know what you don't know, but man, sometimes it just is the exact thing you need to say in that moment. So like, you don't even know what it is that you need to be learning. Um, if you don't go to school, there were things that I learned in school that I was like, what we got to learn that stuff. (laughs) Okay. And of course I've uh, used all that stuff in my life. Uh, you can't, if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see, but I have a stack. Uh, I've kept all of my textbooks from college <laughs> and the stack of textbooks is about two feet tall. Um, and it's everything from what the one here is construction drawings and details for interiors. Um, it's a book. You can always get these books on Amazon. Um, there's space planning basics, which is sort of a fundamental book. Um, the big daddy that we used forever and we continue to use, um, even after school, we use all of these books, um, on occasion. We, um, but the one that we use the most often is interior design and space planning. It's considered the interior design Bible and it's about four inches thick and it's, I think it's still silver. It's sort of an iconic book in this industry. Um, but I can list out um, all of the, the books that we use to reference that have this technical information. So the information is out there. You just need to know what what it is that you need to be learning and where to find the information. Um, the other thing that I would say is important if you are starting out in this industry on your own, you can visualize it. You can see exactly what it is you want to see happen in a space. Um, but you don't know how to make it happen. You don't know how to get there. Um, the other thing I would say is super important is to start to develop your team. So your team is going to be, um, hire a fresh out of college interior designer, or maybe somebody even better if somebody that has more experience, um, that can do your drawings for you. If you're like, I'm not really interested in doing drawings, but I want to convey my, design and I have to do it through drawings, hire someone to help you do the drawings. I know some big name designers that do not know AutoCAD and they they hire people that do and it works for them. The first designer that I worked for, she was doing multi, multi million dollar homes um, and had quite a reputation for herself as an amazing designer. It was a tremendous experience for me. Um, and I was doing her drawings and there were other, um, either in college or newly, uh, new graduates working for her and and they did all of her drawings. So, um, yeah, but she knew design and she went to school for it. (laughs) Um, who are other people that you would say besides somebody that can do drafting that you would recommend to have on a, on a well-rounded team? Um, if you were looking at a robust interior design team. The first hire I did, and I should have done it sooner, was a bookkeeper. For me, that was such a smart way to take something off my plate that I really struggled with month to month. And it allowed me to spend more time doing and learning the things I needed to do and learn as a business owner. I think hiring people that complement your skills and take the things off your plate that allow you to do the things that you want to do the most and that you do the best is really smart to think about 
as you are hiring, and especially if you don't have a design degree, finding people that can complement your skill set to, I mean, it just, it's better for everyone. You find the right people doing the things that they're passionate about that allow you to focus on the parts that you're passionate about. That's, so that's a good segue to my next question is, so there are a lot of things that you do learn in school, but there's so much that they don't teach you in school. So let's talk about that for a second. Bookkeeping, I mean, we had, I mean, I, I know we've talked about this before. You have a semester at least of business practices, but at least in my experience and all of the many students that have worked for me over the years, none of them have been taught basic bookkeeping skills and accounting. And <laughs> I did not know what a chart of account was, chart of accounts was when I first started, like a chart of what, what's that? I have no idea. I think we had one business course in my, I mean, that I can remember. Maybe there were more. The guy that taught my class was a dinosaur. (laughs) I can remember like having this mock project. I think they gave us a budget of like $200,000 and all we could all think about was like, okay, so we'll take about 150,000 for design fees and then we'll do the rest. And it was I don't remember, unfortunately, learning much of value in that course that stuck with me. We learned like a very basic design agreement and I mean, honestly, nothing that stuck with me enough to apply today. And if, they, that, if, they, if your teachers were giving you budgets, that was a step ahead of what I got in school. <laughs> so, I will say that the design degree did help hone my technical skills, but it taught me nothing about the real world of running a business as an interior designer. That has all been the school of hard knocks and mistakes. Yeah. Reading and taking courses, online courses and being really self-directed with learning how to be a business owner. So I can think of a few things that they don't teach you in school. And so maybe you do decide to go to school and you're like, yes, I'm going because I want that head, that head start. I want this, structure of a classroom to teach me the technical things that are going to help me be a better designer. But your education doesn't stop there. So besides accounting and bookkeeping, um, one of the things that I recommend you really spend some time learning about is interpersonal communications. So those are um, active listening skills, how to stay present in the moment when you're talking to someone. I still, I struggle with this. I, somebody will say something and it sparks an idea or a memory. And I can literally like feel my eyes kind of uh, go out of focus because I start to think about something and I have to be very, very present, especially when you're talking with a client to not allow that to happen. So active listening is something that takes practice. It's like, it's like meditation, (laughs) Um, body language. And this is not only when you're talking to your clients, but your contractors, um, your vendors, understanding um, what are their needs too, um, so that you can maintain healthy relationships. Because when you have healthy relationships, not only with your clients, but with your vendors, you really can be a better designer and, and do better in this world. So um, what, what else would you add to interpersonal communications besides active listening, paying attention to body language, Those are two big ones for sure. I think one of the hardest things I've had to learn communication wise is how to communicate as the boss and not in like a arm the boss, bossy boss, boss way. But you know, you are responsible for managing this team and being a leader and bringing out the best in them. 
And the more you can learn about leadership and communication, both verbal and nonverbal, and how to manage a team, how to motivate a team, that's huge. And that's definitely not stuff they teach you in design school. Yeah. So besides interpersonal communication, I think written communication too is, is very important. You know, being able to write your contracts in a way that um, your clients can understand. Writing your emails to clients in a way that is clear and concise and doesn't confuse things mm-hmm. um, that are formatted really nicely. Um, sending your clients emails that have 10 paragraphs is a client's nightmare. The idea of working with you should be that you make their lives easier. Yeah, that's when you know it's time to pick up the phone and use yeah, that kind yeah. of communication instead of written. Exactly. Um, being able to communicate your process really clearly uh, so that they know exactly what to expect and, and don't get surprises. Um, so communication is ver- verbal, nonverbal, interpersonal communications are really important to, to hone those skills as a, as a business owner. And, and as Leslie mentioned, as a leader of your company, should you end up hiring people? Um, what else do they not teach you in school? Uh, I feel like for me, most of the not teaching, the not teached part was about running the business. I found that school was really geared towards the commercial side of design. I mean, the first year we did residential, but I don't think we really touched on it again for, you know, there was two more years of my education and it was not stuff I was interested in beyond year one. So for me, learning just about billing and how to, you know, what to charge, how to create design packages. The written stuff I think is so important and we've got future episodes planned to dive more into depth about those because they're their own beast to get your written communications nailed down. Um, other things in the day-to-day. Logistics is another one that... And marketing. Doesn't get... Well, I mean, logistics when it comes to... I mean, do you know what a bill of lading is? I didn't until a few years ago. And um, so for those of you listening, a bill of lading is a, is a document that a freight company has gets signed when they deliver an item to your receiving company. Um, do you know what a receiving company is and what is their job and your yeah. role in your, in your business? So the, and, and, Freight, how does it work? How does a purchase order work? How does a purchase order become an invoice? All of these different things that um, you are required to do if you're doing any sort of purchasing on behalf of your clients, um, you know, unless you're going to West Elm and throwing something in a cart and checking out. Um, if you're working with trade vendors, which you should be, um, you know, there's a different way of purchasing than, than if you are doing online shopping. And so what is the process after you pay the the vendor for the items? Um, next you have to pay freight, um, but you won't really know what that freight is until the freight company picks it up. And so understanding the logistics of getting your products from all of these different places to one central location and ultimately into your client's home without any Dings, scratches, tears, rips, chips. Missing <laughs> items that didn't get followed up on. And yeah. How do you follow up on these things when, I mean, literally last week, 
I rapid fire got three emails from my receiving company that three different items from three different vendors were either chipped, scratched, or broken. Um, and these are high quality things. This is not yeah. cheap, you know what? And so not only knowing who to email, what to say, how to process that deficiency and get it resolved so that I can get it to my client whole, like they expect it. And those are things that they don't teach you in school and you have, yeah. and you have to figure it out. Um, I did actually have a client email me and ask me and she must have just not read her contract, which is not surprising, <laughs> but she was like, why am I getting invoiced for you guys taking care of the items that got damaged? And I very politely replied, well, Mrs. Smith, um, <laughs> as a full service client, one of the services that we offer is anytime an item arrives um, damaged, we make sure to handle and take care of that for you very swiftly and, and quickly. Um, because we know exactly who to call and what email to write and what the process is and we can do it very efficiently on your behalf so that you can focus on the things in life that, that you do um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and so just a reminder that the service is outlined as a billable service in our, in our agreement. So, so oh, okay. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's part of running a business that I don't think they teach you in school. Yep, I agree. And that, that I think is another full episode in itself talking about the logistics of if you choose to order products on your client's behalf, especially if you go wholesale, what the junk does that process look like? So let's definitely dive deeper on that. I do yeah. think another reason I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> like the other day. <laughs> yeah. Dozens of hours resolving issues and it's, it's, it's its own uh, ball of wax as it were. But marketing is another area that I feel like wasn't really touched on in school. And I've just been figuring it out day by day on how, how do you get clients? You might be the most awesome soft designer, but if no one knows about you, if no one knows what your offerings are, if no one knows how to find you, you're, you're sunk. And marketing is a portion that I have taken webinars and read books and consulted with coaches and tried to figure out how do you get out there and communicate your value and get the people to say yes and sign on the dotted line. I'm so glad you brought this up because one of the very first consultants that I hired to help me run my business was a sales coach. Her name is Kendrick Shope. She is amazing. We will put her name in the show notes. But Kendrick Shope, I worked with her. Um, she has a program. Uh, I don't know how she structures it today because I think it's probably changed. But when I did it, it was, oh, like a four or six week on weekly meeting um, for like an hour where she presented. Um, but her program is called Authentic Selling. Um, how to sell your services without the icky, sleazy, slimy, salesy feel. <laughs> because that's how I felt when it came to yeah. selling my services to a client. But if I wasn't going to do it, I was going to be broke. And so I had to figure out how do I sell to someone. And it really just, we in this again, is a whole conversation, but it comes down to remembering that you're not selling them on how great you are. You're selling them on how great you are at being able to help them solve a problem that they have. Boom. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I had to tell myself and remember I'm here to help someone. And if I can't clearly communicate how I can help them with a problem, then, um, 
then it's, it's going to be me just talking about how great I am. And it's really not, it's not when it's sales, it's not about you. It's about the other person. I heard something recently and I don't remember the source, but somebody was talking probably on a podcast about interior designers and how, you know, sometimes we're seen as a creative business and we are creative, but that's not primarily what we are. We are not even primarily a commodities business, even though a lot of us sell products as part of our design services, we are a service business. Our job is to serve and meet the needs of our clients. And we can be the most awesome designers. And if we are not communicating how we serve, how we help, how we fix a client's pain point, we're, we're useless. I mean, people only hire someone when they have a need to fix something. If you, you know, boil any, any service down that you pay for, having your kitchen painted like I did recently, hiring a tax accountant, we are all looking to people to fix problems we have and make our lives smoother, better, easier, more enjoyable, more fulfilling, whatever it might be. So we as service providers have to communicate that value to clients in our marketing. Absolutely. And you know, I think part of that comes is really closely tied with communications. So if you think you can sell your services, but you're a crummy listener, you can't have one without the other. You have to be able to walk into a client's home and hear, let's just say a couple, for example, listen to them and their pain points. What are they struggling with? What are they frustrated by? And be able to mentally commit that to memory as this is their pain point. What can I do to fix it? Then you can really start to sell to them in a way that is a, is aligned with you, you know, feeling authentic. Yeah. Um, you can repeat back to them the exact words that they said. It's like you're in their mind and their brain. Like, Oh my God, she gets me. Mm-hmm. They don't remember what they said, that they said this, that they said the word, um, boring <laughs> five minutes ago. And you can say to them, you know, I can help you take this place from, from feeling boring and, you know, insert the words that they said, use their words back to them. They're like, Oh my gosh, that Leslie, she really knows what I need. How, I don't care how much it costs. Where do I sign? So, <laughs> yeah. Marketing sales, listening, logistics. So finding. 95% of what we do <laughs> I think design, the actual design, the actual picking of pretty things is what maybe five to 10% part, 10% of part of our daily routines. If I had to kind of narrow it down like that, the actual design selections I feel are usually getting quicker as I, as I learn more, but they're not most of what you do as a designer. And so there's almost a disservice with design school. I will say Design school is great if you plan to go out and work for someone else. But I found as someone who wanted to eventually be self-employed, there was a lot that I needed to seek on my own for the business side and was grateful for the education I got on the design side. So school's great. I think you need to go to school. That's, that's the, my final answer, but I don't know if you need to go to school. That's my final answer. (laughs) Um, I think, I think it's beneficial, but, um, I also think that if you have the right personality, you have what it takes to learn these other things, especially in the technical side, you're going to have to learn the business side of it anyway. 
One of our good friends who also lives here, who's an interior designer, she's practicing design, but she doesn't have a degree in interior design. She has a business degree and the girl is killing it. And she's arguably more useful than <laughs> yeah, seriously. when you're trying to run a business. And a lot of the students that I went to school with, they were older and they, this was their second career and they were coming from an accounting or business or finance degree. And I guarantee you those ladies are doing really, really well. Yeah. Um, decide where you are in your life. Um, and it's a financial commitment. It's a time commitment. Um, it will pay you back dividends. I think, um, it's, it's a very practical, um, experience. Um, but at the same time, I, I guess, I guess my final answer is if you've got what it takes personality wise and are motivated then you can probably be successful, especially in the residential world, without a degree. So is that your final, just, final just, answer you know, now? No, ask me again tomorrow. My answer could change. Well, you bring up a very good point about the fact that I don't want people to feel intimidated or like they can't succeed if they don't have a design degree. Because as you said, having another skill set, whether it be an accounting degree, a photography degree, a business degree, all of those can serve you so well in your business and you can learn the design stuff. I have a client that I'm coaching and she's an accountant. And after 10 years working in accounting, she's launching her own design firm. And that skill set has proved tremendously valuable for her running a business. And she's she's got the oom pa to go learn the creative stuff, to learn the design stuff. But she's got more of the business and accounting experience that I was totally lacking from the beginning. So... My final, final answer, there's just no one way to do this and there's no way to do this right. It really, it really is a personal journey for everyone involved. And Kate and I both chose design say, school. I think it's fair to say that Leslie and I are not black and white on this answer. <laughs> so I hope you found some useful information in this episode because we, we don't have a hard and fast yes or no, right or wrong answer. There really are a lot of ways to succeed as a designer. And Kate and I were recently in Las Vegas at Market, and we had some great conversations with other designers that were on the trip with us. And I'm telling you, everybody does things differently. There isn't a right way to charge. There isn't a right way to market or to design or to have a degree or not have a degree. And as we said earlier, a degree gives you credibility, but they don't teach you style. If you want to do something in the contract world where you're, where human lives are at risk, then 100% make sure you know your stuff and you're accredited and you have the technical. There are skills that need to be taught, whether it is commercial or residential, like we mentioned earlier, drafting, space planning, safety standards, lighting, but all of it can be self-taught if you've got if you've got the power, if you've got it in you to have that motivation. School is a fast track, but you can teach yourself design. That's true. And I think we should just wrap this up with um, a couple of really practical tools that we've used. I used Lynda, L-Y-N-D-A, L-Y-N-D-A.com. I used that a ton to supplement my knowledge, um, especially when it came to SketchUp. Um, and AutoCAD, um, InDesign, Photoshop, Illustrator, all of those tools that I 
use pretty much on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, there are other online learning platforms. Um, I'm sure, Leslie, you could probably throw a few of them out there, but Lindo is, I love their format because it was very professional and clear, and I felt like it had depth and breadth. Are there, have you used any online learning programs like that? One specific one that I've used for SketchUp training, because I was taught on AutoCAD, but now that I'm on a Mac, it's way too much of a pain and expense to try to do that. So I decided to make the switch to SketchUp, and I used courses through SketchUp for interior designers. Tammy Cody is the woman that runs that, and she's so talented and such a great teacher. She's got very simple, but great entry-level thorough courses on the basis of SketchUp. Because for me, if I can't communicate design, if I can't do things to scale, there I can't go anywhere with the design and I don't have AutoCAD anymore. So, so that was a really good one for me. Sorry, I don't mean I didn't mean to interrupt. I thought you were dead. This is probably a good time to do a, a little bit of shameless self-promotion, but I <laughs> I am working on an online course for SketchUp for interior designers. Ooh. Um, that is uh, complimentary, but a little different than what she teaches. And um, it's something that I'm working on, but it's one of those passion projects that kind of happens in the evening and on the weekends when I find spare time. But if you're listening and that is something that you're interested in learning, send me an email, kate at katebendewald.com and let me know. I'll put you on a list so that when I do, I've been hesitant to sort of put that out in the world until I get a little further along in the process of packaging it and putting it all together. Um, but my hope is to be able to have a really robust series of videos that teaches you how to quickly use it. Um, it it's, it's just a really powerful tool. It's very affordable, too, compared to AutoCAD, um, which, you know, it, AutoCAD is the industry-accepted um, tool of the trade. Um, trades can work in, in them when you're sharing documents. Again, that's very commercial in nature. Um, but a lot of people, especially small companies, small businesses like mine and Leslie's are moving to SketchUp because it um, is more affordable, it's, it's more cost effective, and it is simply a very, very robust um, drafting program. So yeah. um, that is to come uh, eventually. So let me know if you are interested in that course. Um, and I can put you on a list. And when it does finally get completed and out there in the world, um, you'll be the first to know. Woo -woo. I think that's awesome. There's so many great different avenues of self-driven learning, online courses, video courses, like what Kate's doing. What about books, Leslie? you have any books Ooh. that are your go-tos? You have one? For business stuff? No, like learning the technical stuff. Oh. That's, uh, no, I don't think I read books about technical stuff. That you learn in school, the stuff you learn in school. Oh, come on, girl. Okay. We were talking about this before we started rolling, and I <laughs> legit uh, barely open my textbooks from school. They're all in that closet right there behind me, and I almost never refer to them, which I'm realizing might be doing a disservice. There she is, nerd okay. She's got I am her books ready to go. When it comes, I don't give away my books. Um, I use them. I reference them all the time. One nice, like, small little quick reference book is the NKBA, the National 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 Kitchen and Bath Association. Their um, kitchen and bathroom planning guidelines with access standards. This is a good little quick reference one that I always keep nearby. Um, eventually, these things become second nature. You know exactly what spacing. Uh, should look like, but it's nice to sort of reference something like this. And the other one is a book from school that I hung on to 
it's the, um, I think this is from Wiley. Yeah, it's Wiley. It's the construction drawing and details for interior designers. So this is going to be the book that gives you all of the construction document details that you're going to need um, to be able to trans translate the ideas that are in your mind onto paper. So lynda.com, NKBA Kitchen and Bath Associations, Kitchen and Bathroom Planning Guidelines, and Wiley's Construction Drawing for Details for Interiors are great starter books to have on your bookshelf to reference when you start doing design. I don't have those. I want to borrow those. <laughs> they look really useful. <laughs> They're very useful. All right. Anything else? I have a lot of other books I can think of that have helped me, but are not specifically on this topic. So I'm going to hold on to those in my melon for a later time. I will say coaching is something I think we mentioned at the last episode, mm -hmm. finding a coach, finding a mentor, whether it's someone that you like and respect and just follow their work online or their books. It's someone that you pay as a coach. Maybe it's someone you know locally that you take out for lunch once a month and you know they share their wisdom with you. Having someone to ask specific questions, to bounce ideas off of, to get answers to those specific questions, specific needs you might be having in your business, I think that is massively beneficial, especially if you don't have the formal education. There's a lot that can be gleaned from someone that is ahead of you I know, Kate, you mentioned using a sales coach, which is real smart. I wish I'd thought of that. But also, there's a lot of interior designers like myself that offer coaching to newer designers to be able to share what I've learned in three and a half years of running my own firm and help newer designers on their way. So I think it's about finding what is your learning style. Some people, like my girl Kate here, nerd out over textbooks, and I love that about her. And some people prefer dialogue conversation with someone that they can get specifics for others it's online courses trainings there's so many different ways to find the information you need kate's raising her hand she has a question yes kate. i just thought of another source resource that we use all the time and that's our vendors oh um, yeah I go, in addition to your contractors or your architects or your structural engineers your plumbers your you know those trades people your vendors the, the people who um provide things like stone um, quartz, granite, marble, um, tile, faucets, plumbing, um, electrical fabric, like what fabric qualities, like, did you know that doing hundred percent cotton upholstery is not a great idea or linen unless it's backed and you need to ask your upholster to do that because it will stretch and it will not stand the test of time. So using your vendors and Gleaning knowledge from them is so valuable. They, you remember I said earlier, building your team, think of your vendors and go to them and ask them questions. Yes. How does this particular tile need to be installed? How does it need to be sealed? I mean, concrete tile is so popular right now, but it has very specific installation instructions. And if you have a tile layer who's never done concrete tile before, there's a potential for him to screw it up and guess who's going to be responsible? The tile guy? No. Or if you don't know that flooring has to acclimate to its environment for usually at least three days before you install it, you can end up with some tiles that are or flooring that's going to warp and bend. And there's so much that we don't learn. And you, our vendors have all that. Not like they just know that stuff because they sell those products. So don't be afraid to ask a lot of what might feel like stupid questions. 
to your yeah. vendors because they would love to educate you on Absolutely. their products. Take them to lunch, buy them a beer. I don't know, something, but pick their brains and digest everything that they're saying, develop relationships with them, have them on speed dial, call them often. Um, I, I sort of forgot, I took such advantage of my time working at the big architecture firm, Oz, um, literally at least twice a week, we would have uh, lunch and learns where um, my good friend Emily worked there with me and she was responsible for scheduling all of these vendors. We'd have twice a week, they'd bring us lunch and they would give us their big spiel on learning the technical sides of um, different materials and what do you need to know about this thing. And so I learned so much in, in those years working for them through that experience. But when I'm working on my own, I have to make time for that because there it was sort of planned and handed to me and there was a free lunch to go with it. And so um, when you're doing it on your own, you have to sort of be proactive in that area. So vendors. It's a whole self-starter thing that yeah. to do this without formal training means you've got to have, you've got to have that spark and that desire to go out of your way to arrange vendor meetings and make those phone calls and do the things that might be handed to you in a different environment. But you don't got that luxury, girlfriend. You've got to figure this out on your own and you can. Totally. Drop the mic. <laughs> I guess that's how we end. I don't want to drop this because it's a, a fancy mic. Oh my gosh. There we go. That's so it. do you need a degree? We don't know. Was that that's our answer. <laughs> But you thought you were going to get an answer on today's show. But, you know, there was, there was a ton of great information and some awesome takeaways. I hope you were taking notes with your handy pen and paper. If you have questions, comments about this episode, go visit us on social media. We are at Designers Getting Coffee on Facebook and Instagram. Let's keep the conversation going. Get your coffee. Come join us. Ask us questions. And we'll be back here next week with episode three. Perfect. Rock on. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. For more coffee and to join the conversation, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Designers Getting Coffee. 